it was the, I think, Jonadab. There was a, a group in Israel of nomads who lived in tents, and their fathers told them, you must always live in tents, and you never plant or harvest anything. You live as nomads. And Jeremiah called these people into the temple. And one of the things, they must not eat, drink wine. They must never drink wine. So Jeremiah had these people called into the temple, and he set before them glasses of wine, said, drink this wine. And they said, no, we can't drink it because our fathers told us to never drink wine or live in houses. And then the Lord said to Jeremiah, who was to tell the people of Israel, why have these nomads obeyed their father for many, many generations and carried out his instructions, and you have not carried out my instructions? So sometimes carrying out instructions is really important. Just thought I'd add that. That's actually one of my um, more interesting uh, stories from the Bible. Jonadab, it was the story of the Rechabites. I don't know if you remember that, but it's a story of obedience. Now, today we're talking about communion, and I've been asking people, what does communion mean to you? And I ask my wife and Dory and my mother-in-law, Rita, what does communion mean? And they said that communion is an event that helps us to appreciate the sacrifice of Christ. And I think that's really important because when we do communion, we tend to focus on the bread and the wine and the foot washing, and we forget the meaning of the whole service. But communion took place just before the sacrifice of Christ. It was at the Last Supper. He washed the disciples' feet, and he, they served bread and wine there. And it was his last living example to the disciples, uh, his last sit-down instruction to them. And it is, I think, in my opinion, the second most poetic event in the Bible, the communion. The first and the most mysterious to me is the sacrifice of Christ. Understanding his sacrifices, uh, are, it's mysterious to me in many ways. The communion is also mysterious to me because it is so rich, it's so poetic and rich in symbolism. Uh, the foot washing, Christ is teaching us about being of service to others. And in the bread and the wine, he says that, well, let me read it. Let me read this here. It says, then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus said to Peter, go and make preparations. Peter said, where? And the Lord said, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the room where we meet the Passover? Now, notice this, that the Lord gave instructions to Peter, go and do something. Peter had no idea how to do it, but the Lord had already made preparations and said, well, go into the city, you'll meet a man carrying a water jar, following him, and everything will be arranged. 
when the Lord gives us instructions and tells us to do something, he has already made preparations for that to become possible. Now, look at all the instructions that God has given us throughout the Bible. He says to love one another. Uh, he says, be kind to one another. Seek justice, love mercy. He's given us, I mean, the whole Bible is filled with instructions and guidelines. But remember that when he gives us these, he has made preparation in advance for us to be able to do these things. Because I know in my own strength I can't do it. Now, how do you, how do you allow the Lord to work through you? Now, I was talking to Benjamin this morning, and he tells me that he used to be a massage therapist. And he said, you can tell the difference between a trained and an untrained massage therapist instantly. Because an untrained one is pushing, and, and, and they're trying to use all their muscles, and, and they're doing a lot of work to do the massage. A trained therapist is kind of flowing. He's using his body weight. In other words, the forces are flowing through him in a natural way. And it's a very natural, non-exhausting process. The untrained massage therapist is exhausted after one treatment, but a trained one, because he allows the forces to flow through him, he is not exhausted. And I think that's the way we have to be. We have to let the Holy Spirit flow through us in order to accomplish everything that we do. And, I mean, I've had a, a couple of patients tell me, um, you know, you're really good. That doesn't happen all the time, but it has happened a few times. And, uh, and I say to them, God alone is good. Because it's only as he works through us that we're capable of, of loving justice and seeking mercy and walking humbly. Today's educational process teaches us to be proud. You get a PhD and you've reached the pinnacle of education or your master's or whatever, and you think that you know everything. I think that education should teach us how much we don't know. But that's not what the education process does. It teaches us how knowledgeable we are now. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now. Well, another reason that the communion is so mysterious is that Christ said that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And this has been greatly understood, I think, by um, many churches. Christ, in John 6, it says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which will I, I will give for the life of the world. Now, in the, in the Catholic Church, they actually think that this bread and wine is converted into his flesh, and then by eating that flesh, we become transformed into the image of Christ. I'm sure I've massacred their communion service, but they believe that this is the actual bread and body of Christ. But later on, 
and Christ explains this more, and he, this metaphor of eating his flesh, he repeats over again many times. He said, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. And as the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father, and so he that eateth me shall, even he shall live by me. Now, many as his disciples said, this is a hard saying, who can bear this? And many of the disciples left after he said this. But I believe what he was saying was, it has two meanings, two poetic meanings. Number one, when he says he gives, he's giving his flesh, he gave himself his flesh as a sacrifice for our sins. So when he says, when he talks about giving of his body, I think it's referring in part to the sacrifice he made of his own flesh for our sins. Now the other is, and this to me was really illuminating, a little farther on in this story about eating the flesh, Christ said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profited nothing. Now, how can Christ say, you have to eat my flesh, and then in the next line he says, but the flesh doesn't profit you at all. That sounds like a contradiction. What's Christ saying here? Then he goes on to say, the words that I'm speaking to you, they are spirit, they are life. Okay, in other words, the second poetic meaning of eating the flesh of Christ besides the sacrifice, is that if you accept my words and you believe them and you trust them and you follow them, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. So he used the, the term, you have to eat of my flesh, to emphasize in a very dramatic way that you have to accept my words and they have to become a part of you if you're going to be saved. And, and that's how I see it. Not as an actual transformation of this bread and wine into the body of Christ, but it's rather accepting Christ's words into our hearts and lives transforms us. It's when we believe that he will accomplish. He'll, his, just as when Benjamin was doing massage therapy, and he allowed his own weight and the forces to flow through him so he doesn't exhaust himself. He used his body weight. We have to let the Holy Spirit or the Word of God flow through us in order to accomplish the work that the Lord wants us to do. Now, what is that work? He wants us to, to care. What did, what, what did Christ tell Peter when he appeared to Peter on the beach after the resurrection? He said to Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter had betrayed him three times. And Christ, Peter says, yes, I love you. And then he says again, do you love me? And you know I love you, Lord. And then again, he says, do you love me? And Peter by now is getting like probably really frustrated and embarrassed. And what does the Lord tell him? He says, feed my lambs. Now, 
when we go out, we're all, we work. Is there anybody here that's a hermit that lives in a cave and never sees anybody? No, there's nobody like that here. Because you'd still be in the cave, right? So none of us are hermits. We all work with other people to a greater or lesser extent. And whenever we work with other people, there is an opportunity to be a blessing to others. And sometimes it's in little ways. Um, about two weeks ago, a student was having trouble with a crown. I'm a dentist, and one of my students was making a crown for a patient, and she had made a mistake, and she asked me to help her because the patient was, got angry that she had to keep taking impressions over and over again. And so she was kind of afraid of this patient. What am I going to do? And so I went in and looked at her case, and we worked at it for a while, and I trimmed it on the model so it worked. And I said, okay, we're, if we make these changes, I think it'll work. I had to go into the school five times over the last week just to work on this one case during vacation. It was vacation time. And she kept calling. The lab, she called me up. The lab won't accept it. So I had to go in and, and talk to the instructor and explain what we were doing and finally got it approved. And I went in over five different times. And it was kind of annoying. But the patient was really grateful when we su successfully completed the procedure. And the student was grateful. And so being of service to others always requires a sacrifice of time, of resources, of your vacations, of many things. It requires a sacrifice. But the Lord will give us the strength to do it. And the case was very successful when we were done with it. And the patient said, he was the, this patient is a golfer. He goes golfing two or three times a week. He's um, semi-retired, and he loves golfing. And he said, uh, it was said after the case was completed, he said to the student, you hit a hole in one. You did really good. And the student was like really relieved. And so we all have opportunities and things great and small to be of service to others. But when we do this, we are fulfilling the words of Christ. And by fulfilling his words, he's living in us. His, in a sense, we have eaten of his flesh. We have accepted his words, and we are living out the teachings of Christ. That's what the meaning of communion is, is to live out the words of Christ. Um, and the foot washing, too. It's another example of being of service to others. Now, I'm not by nature generous and self-sacrificing and helpful to others, but you know, it's something that I have to pray about all the time. How can I help? How can I be a blessing to others? And I think it's something we all need to be praying about. How can we be a blessing to others? Um, Mothers have an opportunity to do that 24-7. They're always taking care of their children. Do you remember what Rudyard Kipling said about women? Anybody heard the quote? He said, a man may work from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. And so I think women, women kind of live out this life of service more naturally than men do because they have children. 
But that's the meaning of, of, I think, this communion service. It's Christ washed the disciples' feet to show us, to teach us, we are to go and do likewise, to be a blessing to others. So, with that in mind, I'd like to release you for communion service so that we can wash each other's feet. And that we have 